Hello, everyone. Welcome to Urbanus Podcast. My name is Donatus Rubanus. Uh, I'm the host, and I'm joined by uh, my colleague, Ritis Vishnauskas. Hello, Ritis. Welcome back. Hey, man. Two weeks ago, we were dealing with some mm, first world problems like new EuroLeague websites, uh, commentating Winter Olympics. And then I thought that the biggest battlefield uh, we currently have in Europe was Zvezdan Partizan Derby in Niche in Serbia, where I was heading to. Yeah. But now the world has changed so much. And before talking about basketball, we will have to talk about things which are way bigger than basketball games. Yeah, unfortunately so. Actually, it's been a while. It's been two weeks since our last podcast. You had your trip to Belgrade and I had COVID and I was in isolation for 10 days. So it's been a while. I actually prepared two glasses of water because it's going to be more difficult today to talk uh, after this break. However, I used my isolation to watch a lot of basketball games, which was good, obviously. But yeah, as you mentioned, the world has changed. It's not about basketball. So uh, in these days, I think it's for all of us kind of difficult sometimes to concentrate on EuroLeague, on basketball issues, to talk about coaches, players and stuff like that. Because you hear even coaches and players in their interviews, especially, for example, Ergin Ataman saying that the standings don't matter. The games do not matter. Uh, this is not the issue right now. So yeah, remember Shaq McKissick uh, halftime interview yeah. in uh, Olympiakos Plenty game. Plenty of examples. Mm -hmm. We had Demo. Um, I cannot really imagine how referee Boris Rizik felt. He's Ukrainian, and he, he was the first one with the sign "Stop the War." Yeah, um, we had we heard the Tore Messina. We heard Sharuna Sisikavichus in his Spanish press conference. So sometimes. Catch myself watching a basketball game nowadays and thinking like, this is not that important right now. Exactly. Even though I'm a hardcore fan, um, I watch all the games. I love to analyze the games the way I can you know, from my own perspective. But sometimes these days it's it's kind of difficult, really. Yeah, I mean, you're watching games, you're trying to analyze it, you're preparing for the podcast, but at the same time, you're you know having these phone calls with. Uh, concerned parents about their future, their safety, my safety, you know, what's going on very close to Lithuania. And I know that uh, for a lot of people, uh, maybe, I mean, they're not, it's not so sensitive for them as it is uh, for us. Uh, and I know that especially when Polis Matyuna spoke uh, about the issue uh, about playing against Russian teams, that he said that there's no way that Jargadis will play Russian yeah. teams either on Russian soil or outside the country. Uh, no matter how the voting uh, will end for the season-ending uh, uh, format. Uh, I know that he was very emotional, he was very harsh with, with his position, and I know that some people were really surprised. I know that um, a lot of basketball people later talked uh, about that Polis was just too emotional, you know, uh, too hardcore on, on his ideas, uh, which he went uh, public about. But at the same time, I mean, I mean, nobody else... Uh, I mean, we know better than a lot of people in Europe what it's like when somebody else decides on your future. We know better than uh, many people uh, what it means to be brainwashed for so many years, uh, what it's like to be occupied for 50 years. And even now, after 30 years, when we are free, we still deal with the consequences uh, which impacted uh, our parents, our yeah. older generations. So it's 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 really terrible what's, what's going on. Uh, maybe to some people in Western Europe, everything seems so far away, but mm -hmm. it, it isn't really that far away. And uh, I just want to make a statement about 
how Euroleague handled this situation, and I was extremely disappointed. Uh, so first of all, um, when everything s- started escalating, when Russia started invading Ukraine, let's call it the way it is, uh, there was no reaction from Euroleague. Then they had a meeting because uh, some of the uh, clubs, the owners, uh, came out with statements that they're not going to play basketball on Russian soil. No one's going to travel to St. Petersburg. No one's going no one's going to travel to Moscow. We heard it from Polis Motiunas. We heard it from Tony Parker. So then they had this meeting and the outcome of the meeting was that we're neutral. We're not mixing sports with politics. Uh, the Russian teams will play on neutral venues and the season goes on, which was terrible at the moment. Uh, we saw the reactions from people, especially Lithuanian people on Euroleague social media. Uh, everyone was really angry. How can you even think about playing with these Russian clubs during the times when Putin's bloody regime is occupying Ukraine? It's horrible, really. The statement that they're not mixing sports with politics, this is not politics. Elections are politics. I mean, transactions between some political leaders on business between political leaders, this is politics. This is not politics. This is terrorism. Putin's exactly. bloody regime. It's not regime. even the war, it's invasion. It's and invasion. Ukrainians are protecting and, their, their homeland. And when we're talking about these Russian clubs, especially A-licensed, Saska Moscow, one way or another, they have ties with Putin. They are actually part of the problem. How can you even think about playing basketball with them? And this shows the flaws in Euroleague system because this is like a closed league, which is ran by licenses, contracts, and wild cards. And a licensed clubs are voting on every single matter, including Saska. So, for example, at the same time, the UEFA just disqualified uh, Spartak Moscow from the Europa League because Europa League is a tournament to which you qualify on merit. You don't have a contract, you don't have a license. So they were just disqualified and Leipzig that were supposed to play Spartak were uh, automatically put in the quarterfinals. And the EuroLeague, first of all, didn't react at all. They really thought that they could actually go on playing on neutral venues, which was already insane. Then they saw that it's not possible. I mean, even the logistics for the Russian clubs to travel to play somewhere, it, it was impossible. So then they had another meeting and the outcome of the second meeting was that they're suspended. They're not going to play. The games that they already played are also suspended. The results are canceled. However, there is still this deadline until March 21st. And the Russian teams might come back, which is, again, insane. I just cannot really explain how I feel about these decisions and these meetings uh, because it's something against common sense. Uh, We are talking about actual terrorism. Putin is a terrorist. He is invading Ukraine. There's blood on his hands. We're talking about a bloody war. And they're still thinking about a way how the Russian teams could still compete in this season's EuroLeague. It's insane. Yeah, especially with all these sanctions uh, against uh, Russia, uh, Euroleague still left that hole, you know, for a comeback. And I tried to check the regulations uh, because there's a big misunderstanding about Jordi Bertomeu and Euroleague because a lot of times people think that Jordi was just sitting in his office and he was uh, making some big time decisions. Although the truth is that all shareholders, now we have 13 uh, shareholders with Aswell and, and Bayern as the newest ones. Uh, they decide. They usually try to vote. They usually they find, uh, try to find the uh, 
same common uh, goal or direction where they're you know going uh, forward to and the thing is that uh, even in the regulations it's said that uh, unforeseen circumstances uh, any matters not provided for in these regulations such as cases of more force majeure will be decided by the euroleague basketball cao these decisions are to be ratified by ECAS shareholders' executive board. So it says that you more or less clubs decide, but at the same time, I mean, Jordi Bartomeu has so much power to set the tone for the whole organization. A true leader should, should come out and very clearly put all the arguments on the table and, to, and just say what's better for the tournament, what's fair, facing, you know, this worldwide problem. And this is the direction which EuroLeague should go. Not just some teams decide either on the, even right now yeah. for the current uh, format, uh, these alternative standings and whatsoever. I mean, Jordi Bartomeu, he has so many good examples. We have Adam Silver. He was very strict with Donald Sterling, for example, at first. He banned him and he forced him to sell LA Clippers. There were some different situations when uh, LGBT rights uh, were kind of, you know, uh, restrained uh, uh, in Charlotte, I think. And he moved the All-Star game from Charlotte to New Orleans, uh, I think. Uh, there were all these Black Lives Matters movements, even the NBA bubble to finish the season. Adam Silver is a great leader. He found a solution. He set the tone and it turned out to be well for the NBA organization. Right now, it was not the first time where EuroLeague just couldn't handle another crisis. Before, we had so many cases with the start of the pandemic, the continuation of the season, all these rules, crazy rules, which were changed during the season with you remember technicals 20 to 0. Yeah, and yeah. there were a lot of misunderstandings and I'm missing, you know, it was another historical chance uh, for Jordan Bertomeo to make history, you know, to come out with a very clear idea what's fair at the moment and how we should deal with these Russian teams. It's not against them. It's not against people working for these clubs. It's against against the big regime. And it's one of the ways, the hard restrictions is one of the ways just to stop Putin and his terrorism and his invasion uh, to our country to make him uncomfortable, not just uh, regularly, but uncomfortable in front of his uh, of his nation. There's a stain on EuroLeague's image right now, actually, and this is not the first example, as you said, where we see that this model of 13 shareholders running the league is a mess. You mentioned the pandemic, and I want to elaborate on that a little bit. Let's remember, uh, before the pandemic, I mean, we know that the 1920 season was actually cancelled. It was not finished. But then they were preparing for the next season, so they created some rules. What will they do in case uh, when there's a coronavirus eruption in a, in a club? And yeah, the first idea was actually that they're going to deal with this by giving away these 20-0 technical losses. And it started happening, I, I believe, in October already. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, with Zenit and with some other clubs. And then all these people thought, wait a minute, this is not actually fair. We created some rules, but they are not fair. So then they, needed, they needed another meeting. And in that another meeting, they've discussed, voted, and decided that these 20-0 technical losses are canceled. And these games are postponed and they're going to be played uh, a little bit later. So this is the first example 
how this is a complete mess. Now we have the second example with the current format. Everyone realizes now that the season is continuing with 15 clubs. I don't think anybody has utopia in their heads that the Russian teams will join at some part of, the, uh, of, this, of this season. This is impossible. It's going to go on with 15 clubs. Let's be real. And then the question rises about the format. How do you deal with those games that were actually played against the Russian teams and they impact the standings a lot? So after that first meeting, the idea was that the results are canceled, these games are voided, and for the future games that were supposed to be played, they are also canceled, voided, no technical wins or losses are being given. Obviously, some of the clubs, some of the A-license clubs, prime example being Fenerbahce, were hurt by this decision and uh, they wanted alternatives. And the obvious solution was to count winning percentages, which is why yesterday they had another meeting and another vote. It, to be clear, it was not a meeting, but let's say um, votes by emails. Okay, yeah. so still it, still it was... Uh, vote by these 13 yeah. shareholders yeah. On, on a big decision. Yeah. And the funny thing is that obviously Tsuska is one of the shareholders and they have a vote on this matter. Why? And it's super weird because Tsuska, uh, I mean, Ismail Sanol uh, from Bean Sports, uh, he, he provided the list uh, of the votes, how teams voted. And he says that, uh, he tweeted that Efes, uh, uh, Bayern, Maccabi, Olympiakos, Basconia, Jalgris, Tsuska, uh, we're uh, voting for the current uh, uh, standings and class uh, classification, uh, canceling all these results against Russian teams. And it's crazy because we have CSKA uh, on this side, Jalgris, Basconia, bottom Euroleague teams. And the vote was very close. Set by They won the voting by 7-6. to six. And it's yeah. crazy that these three teams, especially with CSKA, I'm very surprised why they didn't just, you know, pass the vote, you know, pass, pass the uh, all the voting procedure. Uh, these teams decided what's fair for the EuroLeague and what's not. And to be fair, that was a really terrible decision for the whole EuroLeague because there are two main things. Because by this decision, now you send the message that almost 20% of all these games against Russian clubs didn't matter at all. And which means Nikolaitis' injury against Saska, where he, when he missed 11 EuroLeague games, it didn't matter. Dinos Mitoglu, he suffered uh, an injury which sidelined him for three months exactly against Unix. Then we have Ioannis Feropoulos, coach lost three games against Russian clubs, and big part of that, later he lost the job. So these games didn't matter at all. There was even uh, one funny example by our uh, co collaborator Darius Garwalis. He, he found some, let's say, he found some interesting or big stats which will be cancelled right now because of all these cancellations. And for example, now Euroleague recently posted that uh, Nick Kalaitis reached the milestone of uh, Euroleague assists. I just don't remember the the number of the assists he made, but he's all-time all assist yeah. leader. And cancelling all these games against Russian teams <laughs> makes him actually the second right now. He's so still behind Spanulis. Yeah, so <laughs> now they will have to post it again uh, after a, a few games. So it's just ridiculous. And the worst part is that now this format gives an advantage to the teams like Bayern, 
who lost three games against Russian clubs, now they're higher ranked than, for example, Fenerbahce or Monaco, uh, who won three or four games against Russian yeah. clubs. It doesn't make sense. It and doesn't make sense. That's the bad side of the voting. I mean, the leader, as Jordi Bertomeu is, should come out with a very strong uh, opinion what is fair for the EuroLeague, because this voting was about all these teams and their individual situations, but not for the well-being of the tournament. For sure. I mean, Bayern, for example, or FS, they're just protecting their current result in the standings because they benefit from cancelling the results with the Russian teams. Fenerbahce suffers. Monaco suffers. Monaco doesn't even have vote because they're not one yeah. of the A-licensed clubs, which is another problem. Uh, and the outcome for Monaco and Fenerbahce is decided, as you said, by, for example, Jalgiris. It doesn't really concern Jalgiris. Near I mean, if Jalgiris uh, had won in Berlin, maybe they could hype a little bit about but that's theoretical so chances you about playoffs. You didn't deserve that, actually. Course. You didn't deserve that. Of course. Differently and from Monaco or Fenerbahce, because they deserved it on the court, not by some off-the-court decisions. From the first day uh, when the decision was made, my initial thought was that it's really unfair and you should count winning, winning percentages because... To cancel these results, what message does it send? As you said, during these games, players got injured. Some of these games were during double game weeks. Maybe teams put a lot of effort and energy playing against Kazan, against Zenit, or against Saska, and they didn't have enough left in the tank to play the second game on Thursday or on Friday. It also obviously affected their performances in national championships on weekends because they had to fight hard against these teams Let's be honest, Zenit, Unix, and Seska, they are top eight teams. They are very quality teams. Uh, so you're canceling these results, which f doesn't make any sense. And if you count winning percentages, I think it's fair. You cannot say it's completely fair. There is no situation in this case where everyone's happy. Mm -hmm. But it's, it is definitely more fair than cancel everything. I mean, come on. It also affects a lot of things. For example... When you choose the MVP of the season, will you think about the performances against Unix, Zenit, and Seska? Or will you just try to, to exclude it? erase everything from your head? It didn't even matter that somebody put like 30 or 35 points against some of these clubs. I'm really disappointed about this. Uh, I'm not a fan of any, any of these teams. Uh, however, I feel sorry for Fenerbahce. I mean, they had to deal with an injury crisis playing without Vesely and Decolo. They started getting wins. They were playing a lot better than people expected. They were winning games led by Guduric and Polonara and, and Henry and Pierre with a very short rotation. All of a sudden, they were in a pretty good situation to reach the top eight. And now you're canceling three of their wins. You're leaving them... 10th in the standings, okay, they can still qualify, okay, they can catch Monaco or Maccabi, but it makes it more difficult. Yeah, uh, I mean, now they are 10th, and if we kept all these games, if we counted all these games, they were at least 8 and, and in a way better position than they are uh, right now, so... Yeah. It's just sad, but we just have to move on uh, once again with some bad decision-making. And we will try uh, to predict four teams, uh, last four teams, uh, which will make the playoffs. 
we kind of agreed that uh, we will for sure have Barcelona, Real Madrid, Milan and Olympiacos in the playoffs. Uh, because especially now, uh, as we look at the standings, the the margin between them and the last four, uh, let's say for the top eight, it's, uh, yeah. it's at least Although three wins. I want to say a f- one thing because we're obviously going to focus on those teams that are catching the train. Mm-hmm. But these clubs that you mentioned, Barcelona, Real Madrid, uh, Milano, Olympiacos, Anadolu FS, uh, it will be an interesting race for home court advantage, actually, uh, because it's not a given that Real Madrid or Milano, Olympia or Olympiacos will finish in top four because Anadolu FS is trying to catch them. Real Madrid really performing not to the level of their standards recently. Uh, Milano, Olympia, I'm actually, I'm also not really convinced about their quality right now. Mm-hmm from the, their recent game. So Olympiacos is looking in a better shape and they are actually getting wins. So this is another interesting thing because uh, when it comes to playoffs, the home court advantage is very important. Uh, the playoffs will be somewhere mid-April. Uh, let's imagine that there will be no more COVID restrictions in Greece and Olympiacos can play a game five of a playoff series in a full house. This is a big game changer, actually. So it will be interesting to see these teams competing for home court advantage. Although I agree with you that we should lock these teams in the playoffs. Yeah, they they will definitely be there. I completely agree with you. And there's uh, another important thing, not just home court advantage. Uh, watching how FS are playing right now, uh, they, how confident they yeah. are compared to yeah. the first part of the season. I don't want you, to be. You the wouldn't fourth. want to face them. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to face them in the quarterfinals. And uh, the situation is very tight for Olympiacos, Milan, and Real Madrid. I mean, Real and Milan they have uh, 16 games. Okay, Real played uh, 21 games while Milan played 22. Olympiacos they're with 15 victories, and yeah, FS they have 12, but they're still two games behind, so they can catch the train. But the thing is that it it's gonna be very good fight between Real Madrid, Milan, and Olympiacos because. Not just yeah. home court advantages on the table. Just one more thing before we move on to this topic about the teams that should be mm-hmm. in the playoffs. I don't want to lose my thought, so I will just mm-hmm. of course, give it right Go now. With. If we cancel the results of the games that were played against Russian teams, if these games are canceled and they don't matter, why not refund the fans that actually paid for the tickets? That's a good point. But these games didn't matter. <laughs> yep, yep. We're now pretend- so get their money back now then. we're pretending that these games were not a- not actually played and they do not exist. So let's give refunds. People paid money to see those games. Why not? And Euroleague maybe should refund this if 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 these shareholders voted on it. So fine, prepare a financial package to refund your fans. Nobody gives a fuck about that. Really. I know, <laughs> yeah. I know. This is this is why I'm being sarcastic. That's, that's, but but yeah, it's that's just the worst part. It's just a thought I had I in my head right now. A lot of people didn't even think about the stats, how it will change the. They didn't think about anything averages. besides from themselves in the standings. Exactly. They were voting exactly. for for themselves. That's the another tragedy of of this decision. Yeah. Okay. So I'm yeah. Sorry, sorry it, about it, that. It was a great point. It was a great uh, point. Let's let's move on about the. Playoffs, which is interesting. Yeah, and finally we're gonna talk about basketball. <laughs> and we, I hear that we can agree that Anadolu FS for sure uh, will be in the playoffs. Yep. And we lock them as the fifth team. Yep. Uh, for the playoffs, not just because they have the most games uh, to play, they're still mm, they will still play eight games. Yeah. But they're playing probably the best basketball among among all these uh, six games we will be talking about. 
we have to mention that we will be talking about FS, Bayern, Maccabi, Monaco, Zvezd, and Fenerbahce. With all the respect to Alba Berlin. But let's give them some credit. I mean, Of course, they deserve a lot it, of credit. It, it's nice to see them competing. It's nice to see them playing smart basketball. This season is definitely a very important one for Israel. Gonzalez, as we talked about, a young uh, up- upcoming coach. Uh, I actually don't believe they can make a playoff push, but they got some solid wins right now against Jalgiris, against Asvel, and they can, for example, finish in the 10th position, which would be good for Alba Berlin anyways. But yes, let's let's be real. They are not in a playoff hunt. So who's your sixth team in the playoffs? Well, the schedule is not really friendly for them. However, when, I, when I'm picking these teams that will make the playoffs, first of all, I'm thinking about their defensive abilities. And I see two clubs that have a lot of talent. They play very open basketball, but they are not really good on defense, which is why I believe they will lack their deep... I mean, they, they will just lack defense in order to be mm-hmm. there uh, in the playoffs. So, so defense first not, of all, not only win championships, but also make the playoffs. Especially in, in this situation where you need to actually make a run in the end of the regular season. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with Bayern Munich. Um, not necessarily finishing sixth, but being in, yeah, the, yeah. in the playoffs. Um, just because of their system, because of Coach Trunchieri, because they are tactically very smart uh, They have experience, they have enough quality, they play good basketball. I know they lost their last game at home against Olympiacos, but let's be real, Olympiacos played an amazing game, and uh, in some moments they looked unstoppable. It was a very high-scoring game. Uh, I know that Bayern has a difficult schedule, and that kind of goes against them, but I just believe that a mastermind like Trinkier will will find a way to win some games and they will be there in, yeah. the, in the end. We can mention that they're going to play five of their last six games uh, on away games and it's Fenerbahce, Milan, Panathinaikos, FS and Real Madrid and only game against Vesda is at home. But uh, what I have to mention as well is that they're finally not just finding their rhythm but they're getting their uh, injured players yeah, back, Hillard especially back. like Darren Hillard. It's it's great to see Paul Zipser uh, finally back uh, on track, uh, at least in German Championship. Uh, so all the bodies are here, uh, except from Nick Weiler-Bob, that was a horrible, horrible, horrible injury. So at least it's not that serious how we were, uh, how we fought yeah. uh, at first. But um, okay, they are facing the big, uh, the tough schedule, but at the same time, the current format situation that this decision really helps them a lot. It puts them in the sixth, uh, sixth seed uh, with 12 victories and they're like, uh, um, Monaco, uh, as the eighth seed, there are two wins behind them, and they played. Uh, they have twenty-three games, like Bayern. They have twenty-two. So tough schedule is bad for them, but the current situation is better. All the bodies are coming back, as just as you said. I trust Andrea Trinchieri, and I also have also them have in my them. playoff picture. If we try to count, um, let's say they beat Zvezda at home and they beat Pau away, these are winnable games. Mm-hmm then they need one more win from... Especially if they win against Fenerbahce, it's, it's yeah, already I mean, if, if they win these, these two, uh, they need one more win from the remaining games. If, if it's against Fenerbahce, the upcoming game, then there's no question about it. But Milano-Olympia at the moment seems beatable. Real Madrid, who knows how they will approach the final game of the regular season. Uh, 
I mean, you cannot even rule out a scenario where, where Bayern would qualify with, with 14 wins. Oh, no. I tried to count, let's say, most logical uh, outcome of the end of the regular season. And it seems like that 14 for sure should uh, be enough. Should be enough. And I predict a tiebreaker. I think that we will have at least two teams uh, um, on the line, you know, for the playoffs. And uh, yeah. it will be decided by the home away games between these teams. So the next team, after Bayern Munich, uh, I'm going with Fenerbahce, although they're in the, let's say, worst position right now. 10 yep. seed, 9 victories, 13 losses, and it's going to be a tough task for them, especially with the current situation, Nando De Colo is back, uh, but he needs time to get back in shape, all the the rest of the group also, they need to adjust, they're waiting for Jan Vesely, which is very strange because it's supposed to be like that. I mean, it, w- it was about that Vesely is coming back first and then the caller joins him, but he's still out and they kind of lost their track. Uh, but at the same time, I think that they're on the easiest schedule. They still have six games to play and they're playing Bayern at home, uh, Basconi away, Barca away, Alba home, Panathinaikos home and Maccabi away. So potentially I see them winning against Basconia, Alba, Panathinaikos, probably against Maccabi or or end Bayern. So I see something between four or, or five victories. And it should be enough. Now we have nine wins, so 14 means, yeah, it should be enough, I think. Yeah, I will also put Fenerbahce in the playoffs. Maybe it's a little bit of wishful thinking from my side because so many things are against Fenerbahce this season. It definitely seems unfair and you kind of want to cheer for them. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they have enough quality to win games. I mean, obviously their situation is a little bit more difficult because they need some catching up to do. Um, again, they and Monaco are the clubs that suffer from the current EuroLeague's decision because Monaco would be on a 50% winning and Fenerbahce would be 48 or 49, yeah. something like that. Uh, they lost the Istanbul Derby. They lost some games, for example, against Vesda, which was played on Sunday. Mm-hmm. If they got that win, it would definitely be a huge boost for them. They they lost against Monaco as well, away from home. They needed actually at least one win from these three games. Now it puts them in a difficult situation with a three-game losing streak. But as you said, the schedule is looking kind of, I don't know, I mean, friendly towards them. Um, there are no easy games in EuroLeague, obviously, but with players coming back first of all they need to go game by game obviously and they need to approach this game against Bayern as a final mm-hmm, of course this is a final they need to win this and it it would be better if they would win it by more than eight points actually yep because in for the first sure. round they you need to start eight. counting definitely definitely and it's it's really important to mention yeah that monaco they have an advantage uh against fenerbahce and the maccabi fenerbahce has the advantage against maccabi but as i said you know not only the schedule but also for them it's good that they're playing against you know their direct rivals for yeah. the playoffs so 
winning against against them should really help them. And I I don't think that they're as bad as the three game losing streak uh, says uh, right now about them. I mean, both yeah. of these last two losses against West and FS they were like you know crunch time uh, losses. They in my eyes they were lacking of some leadership uh, from Pereira Henry. You know he he was out. Marco Gudrich didn't have the good yeah. um, performance in four quarters, for example, in Belgrade he went scoreless. He was only free from 15 and beyond the arc in, in both of these games. So, I mean, they're always close. Uh, a lot of goes to injuries, just not making open shots. It was the same problem for Fenerbahce in the beginning of the season. So I believe that when they will have all the bodies back, they will be better and they will made, make that final run. Although it's kind of, you know, bold prediction because, as I mentioned, the situation is not in their favor uh, at the moment. We saw them in the Istanbul Derby. They played in the cup final. Also, they played uh, a Euroleague game against Anadolu Efes. And now that Efes is actually playing the way the way they are supposed to, uh, when, when Masa Mitsic is dominating games the way he's supposed to and Shane Larkin is closing games and Rodrigo Boba is making shots and... Tibor Plyce is causing you problems on these pick-and-pop situations. We do see that Anadolu FS is still ahead of Fenerbahce. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're still the better team. However, Fenerbahce made a comeback in the in the last game against FS. FS were leading by like 18 points. Fenerbahce mm-hmm. made a comeback. Gudrich made some big plays. Uh, they made some big plays on defense as well, but Again, they just couldn't handle Larkin in the end, and during the game they couldn't handle Mitsic. They were trying different options, putting Daishan Pierre on him, on him, Shekhmuz Hazer. Mitsic at the moment seems unstoppable the way he was playing in the FS uh, Championship season. I agree. And another thing, again, since we're putting the number ten seed in the playoffs, which team is gonna drop? So my first. Option is Maccabi. I have no doubts about Maccabi. I watched their last game against Basconia. They won it by a single point, by a single shot of Scotty Wilbekin off the screen uh, when Matthew Costello decided to drop instead of uh, going up against Scotty Wilbekin. They just gave away an open look to a player like Scotty. He made a three-pointer. They won it, but there was no defense in this game. And... I cannot believe that Maccabi, with this defense, uh, they fired Coach Sferopoulos, that they can be consistent and win games, win enough games. Although right now they would be ranked seventh, I think they're going to drop. Yeah, and I actually checked the offensive and defensive ratings of all these six teams uh, from since February, and it more or less it was like five-game uh, stretch. And Maccabi has had the worst defensive rating. They were only 17th. The offensive rating was 13. And as you said, I mean, I was I was missing that chemistry both on and off the court uh, even before the season. I mean, I had these, all these doubts about them if they will click together. And I mean, they're just too unpredictable. They're um, too offensive oriented, and I just don't believe that they can keep that uh, their seventh yeah. seed. The, ta- the talent is there, but there's a lack of system and lack of discipline, lack rules, of leadership and, and, now and defense. Different coach, interim coach, so yeah. it's it's very bad timing for Maccabi. Although this situation f- somehow put them in the playoff race, yeah. and it's an incredible luck for them. Well, so far we agree on everything. What about the last team? The last team, uh, somehow I know that we won't agree on this, <laughs> but uh, for the last team, although I have to admit that I will be cheering for Zvezda because they're a low-budget team. I like the way they're grinding all these victories. I like the group of guys because. It's, it's the real team. Uh, 
but in this situation, I go with talent and I, I go with Monaco. Uh, I have to say that the, despite that loss, excluding that loss against Jalgiris, they were playing pro probably the best basketball after uh, Anadolu Efes. And it's clear that with Sasha Bradovic, they finally found their rhythm. And I believe that with five games uh, to play in the end of the regular season for them, uh, although the schedule is not very easy, for example, they're playing against FS at home, but FS, they are hot. They're playing Olympiacos at home, another very tough game. Milan away game and Bascon and Alba at home. So I, I predict at least two victories uh, for them. And it's not very clear if, I mean, 12 victories to make the playoffs, it, it's a very hard task. So they will have to overachieve. But at the same time, I believe the talent they, uh, they, they have. And uh, as I mentioned before, I think that their only opponent is just themselves. Uh, when they start all this uh, bullshit, losing the concentration uh, defensively in the decisive moments or stopping sharing the ball in the end of the games. They lost so many games when they you know, switched their team basketball, sharing the ball to these ISO situations and some off-the-court stuff when sometimes pops out in, in Monaco. It's, it's destroying themselves and mm. they have enough talent to beat almost all Euroleague teams, but they're still missing, you know, that that thing which describes the team. They're still not as united as the yeah. team, for example, like Zvezda is. I will disagree with you on this one. Uh, I'm not putting Monaco in the playoffs. The funny thing is actually that the very last shot against the Russian team in this Euroleague season was Mike James' game winner over Marcos Pisu against Unix Kazan. And apparently it didn't matter. Mm. Uh, Probably that, that was the only one, uh, the only game winner of Mike James this year, right? I'm not sure. He made some clutch shots in Konas when they faced Jalgiris in uh -huh. an overtime, but he missed some last second mm. shots and he was criticized for his yeah. decisions. It was not he, was not, dri for he was not driving to the paint. He was doing this sidestep three-pointer against Tavares or Nibo. Mm. But against Pisu, it made sense because yeah. he wasn't against Finally, a smaller... Finally, you know, they managed. Yeah, he was against a smaller opponent. Uh, however, I, I watched the game against Barcelona where they played. And I had very mixed feelings during this game because at the same time, I saw why Monaco should be in the playoffs and why they shouldn't. So first about the positives, why they should be in the playoffs. There's so much talent. They can make a comeback against Barcelona from being 12, 14 points down by using their... They made that great comeback against Ceska, but now it just doesn't matter yeah. at all. <laughs> of course. But I mean... Uh, you see they're being down by 12 or 14 points against the best team in the EuroLeague right now, and you're thinking, like, the game should be over. It's the third quarter. Then Dwayne Bacon makes some crazy shots. Then Donatas Matiunas makes some beautiful plays in the paint. Mike James scores some points, uh, scores some buckets, and all of a sudden they are back. But then on the other side of the court, you see why they shouldn't be in the playoffs. They're not playing any defense, and they're losing concentration in situations where you cannot afford to. Two times Barca punished them with an inbound pass from the baseline. There were no screens, no nothing. Nikola Mirotic was just standing near the three-point line, wide open. And twice he punished them with these easy routine shots. And after those, the Monaco players were just looking at each other like, what? What's wrong with you? Why didn't you move? Why didn't you do something? And then in, in the crunch time during the last two minutes, Barca were doing all the right things. 
which you're not surprised about. They're coached by Shurun Sisikavichus. They know how to attack opponents. They know their weaknesses. So they were using Brandon Davis in the paint. They were aggressive. They were getting easy buckets. Um, they were getting second chances. Uh, Monaco just could not defend. And then you were expecting Monaco to do something better on offense. But in the last two minutes, they just couldn't get the ball in Mike James's hands, first of all. Mike James was denied and they did not find a way to give him the ball. Then they, when they were down by three and they needed a play after a timeout, to me it seemed like there was a play drawn for Dwayne Bacon, but when the screen was set, Dwayne Bacon didn't move. And the other players started looking at him and, what are you doing, man? So Alpha Diallo had to do some stuff he is not supposed to be doing uh, in the very last seconds. He got an offensive foul, they lost the game. I don't trust this team, actually, to be consistent and, and be in the playoffs. You mentioned their schedule. It's difficult. Even though they're playing at home against FS and Olympiacos in their current form, I think they're going to lose these games. They should win against Basconia and Alba at home. Then they have a game in Milan. I don't think it's going to be enough. I'm going with Silvanas Vesda and their mentality, their defense. Actually, I will be brave in predicting two wins for Silvanas Vesda this week. I think today they will win against Real Madrid at home and then they will win against Maccabi on the 10th of, of March. This is a really good moment to actually play Real Madrid. They're struggling right now. You're hearing some rumors about Pablo Lasso. Ever since the Copa del Rey, Real Madrid do not seem themselves. They don't seem like the royal club of Spain. They were trashed by Jalgiris. I saw them last weekend against Basconia in the ACB League. They looked powerless. And they lost this game. So this is a very good moment for Zvezda to face uh, Real Madrid. And if they get these two wins this week, they are in a very good position. Their upcoming games are against Alba Berlin, Bayern Munich. They're still facing Jalgiris. And the last game at home against Anadolu Efes. So I'm going with Zvezda in the top eight. Yeah, that's that's a clever choice, actually. The problem with Zvezda is that uh, all of these games against Alba, Bayern or Jalgiris, these at least two must wins for them. They will play all these games away, and this year they won only two games and not uh, in Belgrade. So they will have to, let's say, step over themselves in this situation and to show the best uh, form. But I really agree with you. I like this choice. And uh, when we're talking about this last playoff position, I cannot forget the loss against Jargiris. What was the price of that game no. uh, for Monaco? Even game against Real Madrid, they had plenty of opportunities yeah. to kill Real Madrid uh, in decisive moments but they, they actually didn't. at home they lost against Madrid in two overtimes and they lost against Barca in an overtime w when they were still coached okay. by Zvezda Mitrovic yeah. so these were two big chances as well um, half court game winner I mean that's that's a terrible luck but every game matters that's the EuroLeague what you said every game matters except from those that of course canceled. now it doesn't matter at all <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what you said makes sense of, of course <clears throat> it's logical to go with talent and they are still in a better position right now in the standings. Uh, however, in the EuroLeague, logic does not prevail that often. <laughs> not only talking about the standings, also about oh, decision-making. Yeah. So, Vesda, I will go with them. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Bacon. I mean, I mean, he's already a legend. Uh, I, I've had some conversations with EuroLeague players, and Dwayne Bacon is a great talent. He's capable of making incredible shots. He can decide games because of his talent. But at the same time, it's, it's something is really wrong with his focus. And I know you mentioned this, you know, 
frozen moment of, of Dwayne Bacon uh, in the end of the game and I was told the same about his defense I mean he's just standing in one place and just not doing nothing and he's the most favorite matchup by probably every yearly player so and I've heard that he was on the brink of leaving Monaco not only once I guess but it seems like the owner of Monaco really loves him and it's it's just another <laughs> funny story about and Dwayne Bacon he has this tunnel vision he never sees what's happening in the corners if he has the ball in isolation, you can be sure it's either a step back free or he's going to drive uh, drive to the paint, try to draw a foul, try to finish with a floater or a layup, but he never sees what's happening in the corners. It's like this always, all the time. Uh, he's a great player. He uh, he, great he's weapon. very talented, but I wouldn't have him on my team if I'm trying to make the playoffs in the Euro. Especially League. when you have Mike James, you know, another huge offensive weapon who's also needs some uh, freedom uh, offensively. It's actually scandalous that Mike James did not have the ball in his hands during the very last minutes of the game against Barcelona. I know maybe sometimes Mike James does not make the best decision, but when it's a close game, you must put the ball in his hands. It doesn't make sense to see Alfa Diallo making mm. big plays. Wow, I mean, uh, and again, Coach Obradovic is actually doing a better job than we expected. Of course. So if we're talking about Monaco uh, for the next season, I think they should keep Sasha Obradovic and try to build a team with him. No just, just clear out some of the players that do not fit his philosophy, his ideas, his system. Yeah, and we're not criticizing Monaco. I mean, yeah. they had to build the team from scratch. They had the major changes yeah. in, in September, changing their whole picture. They of, wanted to make some noise team. in the EuroLeague, which is and why they, they signed big names. And they did. And yeah. we're talking about them as the potential playoff team, which is the best thing which could happen for for the team like it, Monaco. It's just a very open question right now whether they will be in the EuroLeague next season or not. Because, I mean, we were talking during the season about this situation that if Unix or Monaco make the playoffs, they are the teams coming from the Euro Cup, they should keep their place. Mm. Right now, there's so much uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen with the Russian teams. We don't know how the places uh, will be given for next season's Euro League. So Monaco is also in uncertainty, whether they will be in Euro League or not. We heard from Mike James that staying in Monaco is an option. However, one main condition is to play in the Euro League. I would actually like to uh, see Monaco in the EuroLeague next year. It would be actually great to see them, you know, uh, getting this right uh, to stay yeah. in the EuroLeague by themselves, by making the uh, playoff playoffs, because I've heard that they're ready to invest even more money uh, for, for their roster. And with correct, with smart uh, adjustments, uh, you know, building the team around Mike James, around other pieces, they can, really, they can be really, really great. They're already, you know, let's say they're overachieved. Uh, they they're close to their maximum, but at the same time, you know, we're talking about Monaco and them uh, securing their spot in the Euroleague if they will make the playoffs. And now we see Zvezda, and for example, if they make the playoffs, there are no guarantees that they will stay in the Euroleague because it's it they're coming from Aba League. There's another uh, whole uh, another regulation for them as well, as far as I know. I mean, it's it's so weird that, for example, if Zvezda won't win the Adriatic League. I'm not so sure if they will be allowed to stay in the early because of the regulations. It's another crazy thing about this tournament. <laughs> too much uncertainty, really, yeah. too much uncertainty. Nah, but okay, in conclusion, I have Bayern, Fenerbahce, and Sylvain Zvezda making the playoffs, and you have Fenerbahce, Bayern, and Monaco. Yeah, and FS, uh, of course. One part of me says that 
it would be very exciting to see Monaco in in the playoffs. Mike James is my favorite player, so I kind of want him to be there. But the other side of me is saying that Cervena Zvezda deserve it a little bit more, and mm-hmm. they just look like a they were potentially more potentially better playoff team because they have defense. Yeah, Zvezda against Barcelona. It wouldn't be the best. I mean, <laughs> the best playoff uh, matchup. I mean, I, I mean, I don't see Zvezda quality-wise doing and something like, for example, Chavi Pascual did last year. But at least in Belgrade, in their atmosphere, they could mm-hmm. snatch a win, at least one win in in the playoff series. Monaco against Barca. Mm, it's too easy for Sharas to find their weaknesses, how to attack them. It's just too easy. This season, Barcelona is actually more of an offensive team than last season when we knew them because of their best defensive rec- uh, record uh, rating in, in Europe. I actually want Monaco in the playoffs just because I think that they have more potential in the playoffs uh, to make the upset. And I will check how they played Real Madrid. Okay, there was that overtime uh, yeah. game in, in Monaco. The game in Madrid was pretty close, although Real built the early big I mean, lead. Madrid just seems a different story right now. Yeah, yeah. Because if we're f- talking about potentially and facing Barcelona... it's not a Barcelona. bad matchup for, for Monaco, actually. Both games against Barcelona were close. I mean, the first one in Monaco, Barcelona won by four. And the second one in Barca, they won by five. So... I don't know. But I just think that... But I just saw the, the recently that last game. Yeah. I know they lost only by five. But at the same time, I saw too many reasons why they it, but exactly cannot the, the win. The unpredictability of this team is both their big problem, but at the yeah. same time, some kind of adman- advantage. Because there's so much potential for uh, unpredictable things. I think things. in a EuroLeague playoff series... Yeah, it's a whole different you story. You need strategy. Tactics... Is very important uh, preparing a game plan, and Monaco is just not the team to do that. I mean, they would play a playoff game the same way they're playing regular season games. It, it makes no difference to Dwayne Bacon. Whatever. What it's tactics we were talking about when there's Dwayne Bacon on the court? So, let's agree to disagree on this one. I mean, my yep. my heart would like to see Monaco and Mike James, but my brain says that Cervenas Vesda should be in the top eight. I really respect your choice. Very good one. And uh, the another thing which was impacted, and not just the standings of the EuroLeague, but at the same time the EuroLeague market. And we see some big fishes moving out of uh, Russia. Some of them, they're just left for the United States, for example. Some of them already terminated the, their contracts. Some of them are posting triple doubles. In the some of them, VTB yeah. League. In the <laughs> League with... Uh, Mario Hezoni against uh, Smoky. Minsk. With Mona, <laughs> uh, Fridzon, Dialsev. Like, they're back. They're finally back. These are, especially Mona. I love Mona. Personally, he's a great player, but this league is, is very, very weird. But okay, they didn't deserve any of our attention on this podcast. But anyway, the team, which is doing good with fishing, is uh, for sure Virtus Bologna. I mean, that's that's the big move for the any EuroLeague team. But now we have EuroCup club signing Daniel Hackett until 2024. And now signing Tornike Schengelia uh, until uh, and the end of the season. And when it takes uh, Virtus, uh, we have to know that, I mean, it seems like the 
coffee business is doing good because uh, Virtus owner, uh, Massimo Zanetti, uh, he's the owner of uh, Segafredo uh, coffee brand and it's one of the biggest brands in the whole world, uh, I would say. And since he joined, he, since he became the major uh, shareholder of the team, the major owner of the team, he's spending it a lot. Already, we already saw signings of Teodosic, of Belnelli, of all the other players they, they had. And now with uh, Hackett, with Schengele, they're raising the main question. Uh, is, it, is it the EuroCup title team? Are we talking about the favorites to win the EuroCup Euro title? Yes, we are. However, the EuroCup format is very tricky. And even if you have the best team and the best roster, there are no guarantees. However, yeah, they, they were one of the favorites already. We were comparing them, for example, with uh, Partizan, and we had a discussion, who would you take in a best-of-five series? And we agreed that Virtus probably would win it. Um, and right now they're adding Danny Hackett, who is playing his best basketball right now. In the last two or three years, he really was at his peak. I mean... You consider him a veteran because of his age, but he's in a very good shape and he's playing his best basketball. I mean, he had injuries when he played uh, in Greece for Olympiakos. He struggled for a couple of years. He moved to Tsuska. And during the last few seasons, he had record-breaking performances. Yeah, he just recently he had a career-high game against EuroLeague champions. He became a consistent three-point shooter, which he wasn't eight or nine years ago when he last played in Italy. This is the best version of Danny Hackett that we saw during his whole career. And obviously he's an Italian player, so it's nice for him to be back home. It's nice for Bologna Virtus to sign an Italian player, one of the best Italian players right now that became available on the market. And to add Danny Hackett's experience with Milos Teodosic and Marco Bellinelli already being there, the IQ of this team is insane, really. And Tornike Schengelia, well, you're adding muscle power. He was a dominant player in EuroLeague when he played for Basconia. Maybe it was a little bit more difficult for him in Ceska. It was a different environment. But I just cannot imagine how EuroCup teams would stop Tornike Schengelia and, and his power. Yeah. So, obviously, it makes them favorites. However, the format in the EuroCup is tricky, as I said. Another thing... The, these moves make uh, the local rivalry between Milan and Bologna very intriguing. The final series with all these legendary veterans on one side, Chacho Rodriguez, Kyle Hines, Malcolm Delaney on the other side, Teodosic, Bellinelli, Hackett, Schengelia, you have Messina against Cariolo. It would be a great series. So these are big moves actually for Virtus. Yeah, Daniel, Danny Hackett's covers, I mean, Hackett. Teodosic, Belenelli, Schengelia, and whatever it is, Jaitev or Udo, when he will come back after the injury. I mean, that's the Euroleague playoff material yep. uh, in my eyes. And Danny Hackett uh, adds what Mo Monaco, uh, Virtus, uh, what we, they're missing. They were kind of mediocre defensively this year. They had 12th best defensive rating in the Euro Cup, especially they had problems uh, protecting the perimeter. They allowed second worst 38% uh, uh, of three-point shots. And uh, when Teodosic was out, especially, it seemed like they were lacking of some leadership because I love Paola. I like uh, Nico Mannion, although he's having a tough year, but they're just too young to lead the team in, in, in tough situations. And Danny Hackett will, will solve a lot of things because basically Virtus, you know, 
they had a difficult season. They are only uh, they are only fifth in the Euro Cup. Uh, fifth or fourth uh, in the They Euro failed cup. in the cup competition. Yeah, they lost four of their last six games. They failed in the cup and semifinals, if, if, if I'm correct. I mean, that was a very tough season for them. And it's not uh, it's not a surprise that they're making moves. And especially when the market uh, and the situation of Russian teams opened some crazy uh, options uh, for them. Although the Shengelia story is uh, very interesting because Hackett was kind of, you know, that needed perimeter player which could cover some holes of Virtus' game. And Shengelia is something extra, you know? But at the same time, I heard that it was the personal request of Sergio Scariolo, Sergio Scariolo because um, uh, he wasn't happy with the current situation with his front line. It seemed like the Jakar Simpson uh, signing uh, was not as good as everybody. Uh, Jakar Samson, I'm sorry. Jakar Samson signing was not as good as uh, they thought. And he needed... Uh, powerful guy under the basket which could cover both power forward and center uh, positions and these negotiations were super hard because uh, differently from Hackett's situation, Hackett was in an expiring contract and he had to pay from his own pockets, let's say only 100,000 euros Shingele was under the contract and the contract was signed until 2023 uh, so he had to pay way bigger buyout just to get himself free and basically all these players, both of these players were paying from their own pocket because Virtus, they were paying only the salary. Uh, at least it was reported that Hackett will get uh, around 2.7 millions until 2024. Uh, Shengelia's deal is, 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 is way smaller uh, than Hackett's. But anyway, the negotiations were so difficult that even from, even if they found agreement with Virtus before, there was a big concern, high level of concern that they might not get free of uh, CSKA contract. But at the end of the day, no. CSKA, they're in a bad situation uh, and it's, there's no way that they're coming back to the early, but at the same time they could do, you know, everything just to keep their players, at least for the summer, you know, just to check what will happen the next year. But at least they didn't uh, put any, you know, restrictions uh, or, you know, didn't uh, kept them making them very unhappy. So, Virtus made the last-minute move just before uh, the deadline. But what is interesting about Shengelia that there is a rumor, and it was already reported by Italian newspaper Corriere di Bologna. And what is interesting that I heard it from two sources uh, as well, and kind of reliable sources, that after his contract with Virtus will be finished, he's kind of set or he's close to sign with Barcelona uh, for like multi-year deal. And I was a bit surprised about that because they have Nikola Mirotic and Shengelia as a backup. Of course, that would be an amazing addition, but I don't see Shengelia being uh, happy, very happy with the backup uh, role. Uh, okay, there's an advantage because he's treated as a local player in Spain because he already played there so many years. He played in Valencia's um, youth system. But I just don't get it. Either it's a uh, you know fake news, or either it has to be some Shara's masterclass, another crazy decision. Like with Sertac Shanli, we're not sure if it will be a very good fit, you know, for Barcelona. But it appeared to be way better than we thought. And now Shengelia, I don't know. I just don't see that happening unless Mirotic is leaving. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it takes a lot of brainstorming to find fit for Shengelia and Barcelona. Yeah, that's that's strange. Thinking about Shengelia's future, well, first of all, let's not rule out that if Virtus Bologna is successful and this season, 
and they qualify for the EuroLeague, they might extend him. Why not if he feels happy? So that's one option I mm-hmm. would see. Another one, I, I was talking about this uh, when we had these hypothetical trade scenarios yeah. for EuroLeague teams, and I was saying that Anadolu FS sort of need refreshments. They have Mormon and Singleton at the power forward position, and Schengelia could actually be an improvement and could replace one of these players. I mean, I know he's not a stretch four type of a player, but still, you need a strong body, a power forward that can actually play at the five position as well. So it would make sense for me if Anadol Efes signs Schengelia to replace, let's say, Adrian Mormon. That's one idea that I have in my head. Another one is... Basconi, if they're doing a massive rebuild and they want to invest a little bit more money and they need a star player, sign Toko Shengelia, that is already one of your own players. Fans love him. Everybody loves him in Basconi. I believe he has a personal relationship with the Basque uh, c- county, so why not? I mean, right now, Basconi is in the bottom of the standings, but they could do a rebuild, and I could see Shengelia being part of it. Other than that... I don't see him in Barcelona. I don't see him in Real Madrid. I don't see um, him in Milan, really. They have Mele, Metoglu. Yeah, so these are the Olympiacos, best... Olympiacos, they can't pay him enough. So FS and Basconi are the best options I could imagine. Mm-hmm. And the other option being Bologna Virtus in the EuroLeague, uh, an interesting project, and Schengelia just being part of it. Yeah, but I mean, Barcelona, I'm really surprised about these news. Yeah, I mean, he's a great uh, guy. He's a team first player. And maybe, you know, he's already 30 years old and maybe he's about winning. Uh, yeah, right he hasn't now. won the EuroLeague. That's why he signed with He Cerca. actually only played in one Final Four with uh, Basconia when they qualified. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only one. Yeah. And, you know, Basconia, they were always underdogs uh, in the EuroLeague competition. So maybe he's going to accept this uh, role. Maybe they're going to rest Nikola Miritic more. Maybe Shingele will play more as a center. I don't know. It would be an amazing addition for Barcelona as well. Uh, of course, uh, talent-wise. And I believe that Sharas uh, will find him uh, a good fit, but I would be really, really surprised. But as I said, it was already reported. Sources are suggesting that something is happening. His camp uh, is, 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 is not uh, It's kind of you know denying it. It's, 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 it's too early and it's uh, obviously he will have a lot of offers this summer as a free agent. But that's going to be another, let's say, he's going to be a very unexpected free agent and it will be very interesting to follow his path. Okay, but right now for a fact, we know that Virtus added Haket yeah. and Schengelia. So Messina against Cariolo. I don't know if, if they're playing best of seven or best of five in Italy this uh-huh. season. Who are you picking? Everyone's healthy. I think uh, I'm going with Milan because there's more continuity in that team. Uh, Virtus, it's it's a new project, new coach, new philosophy. They had so many injury problems. I don't... Probably Scariola didn't have full healthy team at any moment of the season. Uh, and he will have to wait for for all these pieces to be back. I love I, I like Virtus on the paper, but I just think that Milan they're more consistent. Uh, they're very experienced. They know each other very well, and uh, now they are deeper than they were last year. Mm. Uh, it's it's funny because uh, now Virtus is way more talented team than the last year, but they, the last the year they swept uh, Milan. But this time watching how long it takes for Virtus to build that winning project, I think that Milan has a slight, slight advantage. 
Yeah, last season maybe Milan they were really frustrated and tired of the yeah, Euroleague final yeah. four and they just could not focus on the Italian league playoffs. Um, I would be really excited to see this series and if it's best of seven, I would like to see it going down to the game seven. Maybe I I, I would go with Virtus actually. I cannot consider a team with uh, Dosic, Bellinelli, Hackett and Schengelia underdogs in mm. any context. Yeah. Uh, but it would be really interesting because, as I said, there's a lot of experience and quality in both of these teams. And I'm really happy to see Italian basketball on the rise again. Let's remember, uh, back in the days, Italian clubs were actually dictating fashion in, in, in whole Europe. I mean, they had not only Bologna, they had uh, Milan, they had Benetton Treviso, they had Montepaschi Siena. They had amazing teams and Italian financial League power was as well. Probably the strongest probably uh, it was. league in Europe. Probably it was. They had a financial power. They had everything, and then there was this like a sad decade when some of these clubs were going uh, into bankruptcy. Like Montepaschi, for example, some of these clubs simply declined, and basically Italian oh, basketball for a lot of years now has been only one team financed by Giorgio Armani playing in the Euroleague, but being unsuccessful, spending a lot of money, signing a lot of players, but not winning anything, not making the playoffs, not making the Final Four. And this was the face of the Italian club basketball recently. Now we see Olympia Milano coached by Atore Messina making the Final Four, competing in the Euroleague, making smart moves on the market. We see Bologna Virtus on the rise again. They're trying to get back in the Euroleague and they will be in Euroleague next year or the year after eventually they should be there so it's nice to see Italian basketball being once again a European powerhouse because for the last 10 or more years there was nothing actually yeah yeah Scariola against Messina uh, what a finals uh, I mean what's funny that it's still hard to believe that Scariolo won the Italian championship when he was 30 uh, years old or 31 uh, year old uh, Messina for the first time he won Italian championship and he was 34 mm. and after <laughs> 30 years they are wow. back they, uh, they came back from the NBA with a different approach they really learned a lot I believe being in the NBA now they are not only coaches they are like GMs at the same time they are building teams not only coaching teams uh, it's a big time for Italy bas we, Italian we basketball we were talking a lot about the Belgrade Derby, for example, how interesting it is this season example. to see Zvezda mm. against Partizan. El Clasico, yes, another big one. Um, Istanbul Derby. Right now, Anadolu FS have the upper mm. hand, but still, it's exciting to see FS against Fenerbahce. We never mentioned the Italian league, but right now, to me, after these signings, mm -hmm. the rivalry between Virtus and Olympia probably is the most exciting one from these that, that I mentioned. I mean, in the El Clasico, I had a lot of expectations for Real Madrid this season, but like I said, since Copa del Rey happened, Barca not only looks the better team, but they so, sort of like in last season situation. Real Madrid is now losing against Jalgiris and Barca continuing what they do. And this one, wow, yeah, going to be interesting. Real, they're on a bad str uh, streak. They lost six of their last nine games. As you mentioned, they lost the El Clasico and they lost... 
10 of 13 last El Clasicos uh, against Barcelona. Yeah. And actually, we were surprised because yesterday uh, there was a report uh, of Marca uh, which said that within the club there are other voices that believe that Lasso has lost the control of the locker room and that the situation is irretrievable. They also think that the wear and tear of a position that the world coaches until he arrived is noticeable. And it's a Google translation, so don't blame me. But anyway, the main idea of the report is that Lasso could be in a hot seat. What is very important to mention that Lucas says Bravo, mm, solid journalist from El Mundo, tweeted that in, in case anyone has any doubts, Lasso is not in danger today. He has the full support of the club in what is considered a bad run. So, but you know, it's strange to hear anything coming from Marca because we kind of, Marca because we kind of know that it's uh, it's related to Real Madrid. It's yeah. kind of you know Real Madrid rupert, just like Mundo uh, Mundo Deportivo uh, about Barcelona. So something is going on, and I'm kind of surprised because maybe I'm I'm too patient with all these processes and stuff, but I cannot understand. What can you ask more from Pablo Lasso and what he did in the last 10 years? He brought the culture. He He's the coach who any other coach can manage uh, involving young players and achieving and reaching for the highest goals, just like Pablo Lasso did, uh, getting 21 youth team player on the main team roster. Actually, in the last six years, uh, Real Madrid won the EuroLeague twice. Only CSKA Moscow did it. And before, in the last 20 years, only Panathinaikos in the in the span of five, six years, they won the EuroLeague the three times. And it was Gilles Coyera with, with Shadas, with Diamantidis, and with all these uh, legends. So, I mean, not only he's uh, producing and giving the opportunity for young players, not only he brought the culture, he built the culture, and, and he's achieving, you know, big-time results. I mean, he did everything he could so for me it's very weird to see that he could be on the hot seat uh, okay they're playing bad right now but all teams they're going through bad stretches and I, I just don't get it and I would be really surprised if that's the real concern in Real Madrid's uh, front office well before that we heard rumors about them signing Shane Larkin so if, if, if they add Shane Larkin for next season it's a completely different picture because this season they are a very big team, and they became a defensive team with their defensive presence, uh, but obviously lacking uh, creativity on offense because Sergio Yu is not as good as he once was because Thomas Sertel is not very consistent because Nigel Williams-Goss is kind of disappointing. You have to put Abalde in the point guard position, but he's not a true point guard, and it sort of creates a similar situation that was last season. So still, they did not replace Facundo Campazzo uh, properly, even though I really thought when they signed Ertel and, and Williams Goss that it should be enough for them. Um, however, yeah, it's really strange for, to me also, these rumors about Pablo Lasso, they're still in a position to challenge for both titles, for the EuroLeague and the Spanish League. I know they lost the Copa del Rey final, but it was a difficult final for Barca. I mean, Real Madrid maybe were one Gabriel Dex layup away from winning it uh, or at least tying it in the end of the fourth quarter. So, I mean, they could have won this title. They didn't. Obviously, Barcelona is dominating El Clasicos recently and Pablo Lasso is trying to find a way how he can stop Barcelona. Mm, and the only option for them right now is going big and 
trying to pack the paint and, and win by defense. Uh, I could see Pablo Lasso, let's say, leaving after the season in a mutual agreement with the club. But to see him fired during the season, I mean, come on, after 11 years, possible, yeah. I don't think it's possible. And if you would fire him now, let's say, you replace him with, with who? Chus Mateo, his assistant coach? What does it change? Mm. Pablo Lasso deserves more respect, I believe. Yeah, I've actually heard that there's kind of feeling in in Spain that Pablo Lasso is kind of, you know, undervalued coach in Real Madrid because at least I've heard that he was, let's say, underpaid in terms of what his level coaches are uh, getting there uh, in Europe. And always, if something went wrong, everybody was talking yeah. about Pablo Lasso. But I mean, all of his achievements, especially the last year situation, show me and give me any other coach uh, who would deal with the situation where you're losing the one of the best, one of the top guards in the Euroleague. Then you're during the season. Then you lose Gabriel Deg, another important yeah. player, dealing with so many injuries and still being competitive enough uh, to play the game five against the Euroleague champions. I mean, replacing Pablo Lasso in this situation is not simply replacing a coach. That would be an end of an era, similar to what happened, let's say, in Panathinaikos, mm -hmm. when Jelko Bradovic era ended. Everything has an ending. Pablo Lasso might leave Real Madrid after this season, after next season, but to fire him during this season would be disrespectful, really. Oh, yeah. Let him no doubt. let him try to go through this difficult path right now. They're losing games. They're not playing good enough. It's obvious. I mean, not only in the Euroleague. I, I, as I said, I watched on Sunday them against Basconia. It was terrible. But let him try to fix things. Worst case scenario, what? They lose in the Final Four or they lose in Top 8 and they lose the ACB League Finals? And this would be considered a bad season for Real Madrid. But it's not like a disaster or something you can rebuild you can sign one player one signing makes a makes a difference shane larkin they're lacking of shane larkin that's it give give pablo lasso shane larkin and he starts winning games again so yeah because this team clearly needs the rebuild the rebuild has started replace actually. some veterans because and they need to with replace all due respect to rudy veterans. fernandez yeah. and sergio you their time is over yeah yeah just like with Vasilis Panulis, you yeah. just have to move on and find new leaders and chill Arkin, if that's true. And from at least from the directions we saw, it seems like it could be true. I mean, Chill Arkin, for sure, he denied everything because in his position, it would be stupid to do anything differently. Pablo Lasso's reaction uh, was kind of different. He didn't deny it firmly. He said that just that uh, these rumors uh, hurt the team just before the Copa uh, del Rey, but he didn't. He wasn't so categorical, you know, you know denying if, these rumors. If, if the question is to Pablo Lasso or, I don't know, Florentino Perez, are you interested in signing Shane Larkin? Uh, the obvious answer would be, yes, we are, because anyone would be interested in signing Shea Larkin. But if there's an agreement on the table already, who knows? Okay, and our five cents uh, for the last week's Euroleague games goes to Panathinaikos in Milan, and especially yeah. the referees, yeah, right? Yeah, we mentioned some of the other games uh, already in the context of, of the playoff race. And this one... Left a bad taste. Left a bad taste, really. Milano, Olympia Milano, they escaped with a win from Moaka. And uh, I don't want to criticize them for the way they played. It was not a very good game for a Torre Messina's team. They had some 
beautiful place in transition with Chacho Rodriguez. They had Malcolm Delaney actually hitting shots. He was the best player on the court that night. They were leading the game. They got themselves in trouble uh, in the end. But after the match, no one's actually talking about Delaney's shots or Sergio Rodriguez's passes or Kyle Hines hitting a clutch free throw. Everyone's just talking about the referees. And the refereeing was really poor. Mm -hmm. It was really sad to see. In the last three minutes of the game, I counted at least three situations with bad calls. Vasilis Cavadas, he was elbowed, nothing happened, no call. When the ball went out of bounds by Gianpaolo Ricci, clearly Milan got the ball. Uh, especially the last situation, Kyle Hans, he's an amazing player, just another incredible offensive rebound for the all-time EuroLeague offensive rebounder. Uh, and he decided the game with his clutch free throw, missed the second free throw on purpose. That was a clear offensive foul by Gianpaolo Ricci under the uh, basket. And Panathinaikos should have been rewarded with true free throws. And who knows, maybe they made that incredible comeback and they won that game. Before even there was a situation with Kasalakis, uh, who, who, who kind of lost the ball, but it seemed like the Delaney clearly made a foul. So Definitely. we're talking about at least three or four situations which turned into Milan's favor. And do not... And get me wrong, I mean, Milan is a way better team. Uh, they deserve that victory, but just the ending of the game was 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 really bad. And I actually, I actually am not so sure about deserving the victory because Milan didn't play a good game, and Panathinaikos bounced back after a shameful performance against Jalgiris. Against Milan, they played really solid. They they were in control. At the end of the game, they lost the control. Milan was up by eight. Then there were some mistakes, uh, turnovers that you do not expect from experienced players like Sergio Rodriguez losing the ball and Nedovic mm -hmm. after the steal tying the game. But these refereeing decisions really were uh, in favor of Milan. Uh, Panathinaiko suffered. However, no one's making a really big fuss about it just because Pau is in the bottom of the season. They are not challenging for the playoffs. If this game would mean more would have meant more and but Nikos lost oh, it yeah. there would be a lot of noise and if, uh, there would be a Dimitris lot of noise Gennacopoulos was still the <laughs> active owner of yeah, Nikos yeah. I see another penalty and right now everyone's just gonna forget it so Milan just escaped with, with a win very important win yeah it's very important for them the game for, for and risking of being the fourth seed the team it didn't change much but as a viewer you were disappointed with what you saw and I, I would like to end my take about this game mentioning Vasilis Cavadas, um, the strong body, uh, the center that I really didn't see him much when he played in other teams like Ayaka or Aris. But um, looking at Cavadas, when he plays his back to the basket, he's scoring some hook shots. He's using his strong body. I'm thinking that this is not the right time for him to be a professional basketball player. He was born too late. 20 years ago in Europe, he would be one of the best centers. Right now, it's just too difficult for him, especially on defense. But 20 years ago, or even 30 years ago, with his body, he would be one of the best centers in Europe. He kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Lazaros Papadopoulos. Although Papadopoulos was even bigger mm -hmm. and better, but he kind of reminds him, me of him a little bit and... He, this just shows how the center position changed in Europe 
obviously in NBA, but in Europe as well. When you have on one side of the court Cavadas or Papayanis, and on the other side of the court you have Kyle Hines playing the fifth position. Cavadas uh, reminds me more of uh, Simas Galdikas, kind of you know Greek Greek <laughs> Simas Galdikas. And if Kazis Maxitis will get Jargiris' job uh, in summer, he he might bring Cavadas. Uh, <laughs> I Jargiris. mean, he 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 reminds me of Galdikas maybe because of his power and body, but. Cavadas is more skilled. Of definitely. course, of course. He's playing in EuroLeague. <laughs> Although Galdikas, I think he played in EuroLeague as well. He did for Neptunas. He did. And he actually made a game-winning shot. Oh my God. <laughs> He's a legend. He's a legend. Yeah. Yeah, th- this was my last take from the game because during the week I saw uh, Panathinaikos twice against Jalgiris and against Milan and that was really... Um, Way more Panathinaikos games when you could usually watch... <laughs> yes, I actually, routine. I actually, for the first time in the last six years, was watching Jalgiris at home uh-huh. because I, I didn't have to work. So I, I saw both of their games against Pau and against Alba Berlin just at home. It was a weird feeling. We will have a lot of good games this week, actually. Uh, let's start uh, with Tuesday, for example. Zvezda, Real Madrid, as you mentioned, very important game uh, for Zvezda if they want to make the playoffs. Uh, then we will have... Zvezda Maccabi again uh, on Thursday, another playoff decider. Uh, Real Madrid against uh, Milan mm, on, on, on Thursday as well. And on Friday, it's Monaco and Adol FS. And for us, Lithuanians, it's going to be exciting to, to see Shilna Sisikavitrus back in Jalgir Arena with full crowd, with no empty seats like it was last year because of the COVID. So, so it's going to be very exciting and decisive week we we have most of the teams they have only six games left so yeah now every game really matters i'm looking forward to zvezda's game today against real madrid first of all and on thursday the most interesting game to me is real madrid against uh, olympia milano on friday monaco against nadol fs is like the game to watch if you need to recommend a single game to your american friend fs monaco Yep, there will be most talent on the core that there most can be in a Euroleague game, game. Most offensive-oriented game. You will have Vasilya Mitic, Shane Larkin, and Mike James on the same court. You will have Dwayne Bacon. You will have Demos skills and everything. So this is the one to watch for. For example, an American basketball fan that is not really into Euroleague, and you want to present the Euroleague to him. So Monaco and Adal FS on Friday night. Okay, man. Thanks a lot for your time, for your insights. And that's it. That's it. Let's hope we will be back here next week. And let's hope that by that time the war will be over. Although it's very optimistic prediction, knowing what we are facing. Well, we're hoping for it every day. Side. We're hoping yeah. for it every day. So, yeah, let's, let's hope and support Ukraine as much as we can. We have, we're doing some really good stuff here in Lithuania, supporting them. I mean, I was surprised that Lithuanians, they donated over 17 million uh, euros in in 10 days uh, through all these organizations. I'm not even including military uh, help or medicine help, uh, which is coming out of the country. So that's incredible. Let's let's stay with Ukraine. Uh, Let's hope that the war will be over. Um, For basketball related stuff, you can always follow us on basketnews.com. Uh, as well as on our YouTube channel, basketnews.com. And you can find us on Spotify, 
or bonus, uh, just top, uh, type or bonus uh, podcast and you will find all of our episodes. Thanks a lot and see you soon.